This is Kevin Evans with Crossroads uh, Church chapter by chapter live class. And we are finishing up the Gospel of Luke. <clears throat> and uh, last week, we spent a great deal of time discussing Christ's crucifixion. Uh, we covered 26 through 43, uh, verse 23. And we stopped and we ran out of time at verse 49 because Clayton Yank just could not stop preaching. Uh, so, we, uh, yes, I threw you under the bus. I just wanted to see if he was still listening. See, he, he, he wasn't even listening. And so I just, you know, I wanted to put, see, see how good I am. I just pulled him right back in. So uh, at verse 50, uh, it, it finishes up this chapter as Luke tells us what happened after Christ uh, uh, died on the cross. So, uh, and I, I apologize for chasing the rabbits that I'm about to chase. <clears throat> Verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one of which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. It's funny how they don't mention here how, you know, in the other Gospels that talk about how Pilate said that he couldn't believe that he was already dead and he sent a soldier to go and make sure he was dead. Remember that? Well, explain why, why you're bringing that up. No, I just think it's, I thought it was unique that Luke didn't mention that. There are a number of things that Luke doesn't mention. And you have to remember that we've got four different writers writing for four different audiences, two of which were there and two of which, well, three of which were there and one of which wasn't. This is the wasn't. So he's getting everything, second and third hand information. And he, he, and he's read Matthew and Mark, we assume, at this point, you know, when he's writing this. And he still leaves details out that Matthew had in his because I guess he didn't talk to Matthew. So he's, you know. Uh, Luke, Luke is a detail man, and he's leaving out stuff he can't corroborate. And that's important when you're a researcher, to leave out the stuff that you can't corroborate. <laughs> you just talk about it in live class later. Anyway, uh, so here's what we know. Uh, his name was Joseph. He was a member of the council, according to Luke, and most people interpret that to mean that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, a good man, an upright man, who had not been consented, had not been consented, who, who had not consented to their decision in action. Now the Sanhedrin, when they voted to execute Jesus, did so unanimously, which Luke recorded earlier. So he's a member of the council, and they voted unanimously, but he didn't vote, so we have to assume he wasn't there. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea. Historians have absolutely no idea where that was. It's supposed to be west. It's supposed to be like four different places. Well, <laughs> I was reading this morning. It's, it's, they, 
said it was like west of Jerusalem. Okay. So, it's, it's in Judea, because it says it's in Judea. So we know that it, in, in Jerusalem is in northern part of the Judea. And so, so most of Judea is, you know, south and west. So, yeah. Uh, we know he, he know we know he was Judean. He, he was absolutely Jewish, but we don't know what town he was from. And I don't know that it really matters so much. And he was waiting for the kingdom of God. What does that mean? He's, he's waiting to see the Messiah. Yes. Now, kind of like the man that was in the temple when they took Jesus to be baptized, and he had been waiting for to see him before he died. Remember that. I think he's waiting for the conquerors, right? Like all of the disciples that Christ has been trying to teach it out of them for the last three years, you know? Uh, he, he, he's one of those guys. He, he wants to see the Romans overthrown and the Jews take over the world. and He wants to be ruler of Assyria, you know? It's, it's like that. I don't think it's the same. No? They wanted to see that, but he's saying he wants to see the kingdom of God. I think it's two different... So I think more of a spiritual interpretation yeah, you're in, more, more in the gospel according to Bill. Well, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's fair. Uh, so, Joseph goes to Pilate and asks for Jesus' body. Now, the tradition among Romans is to hang this vile prisoner and criminal up and he is a sign and a warning to all the others to behave and it's not just that he suffers for 24 to 36 hours before he dies but then we let him hang there until he literally rots off the cross because we want people to walk by and see him as a warning that's why he's nailed up on this tree to begin with it's not so much just the crucifixion, it's the show after. That's why he's up there. And so the Romans would, as a rule, not want you to take that body down. If we crucify somebody, he stays up there. Let, let leave, the, leave him to the animals. They're not really big on burying the dead that they crucify. A tradition that was carried on into the Middle Ages in England. There, you know, uh, there was actually uh, a reference, I think, in Shakespeare. I'm probably lying at this point. Where they give directions to go to a cathedral and you turn right at the thief and left at the whore. Because they had a dead thief here executed. And, it, 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 and, and the, the executions become landmarks in London. Oh. You know? uh, so it, it's an old trick that works well. You know, You tend to behave when you have to walk past this dead body going home, you know? Uh, so Romans don't want to take this down. However, it's Passover. And the Jews, not the Romans, the Jews have this uh, tradition of not have, you know, Passover is their holy day and they don't want ugliness on their holy day. It's, uh, it's like Christmas. You don't want to have a dead body on the edge of the road on Christmas. Let's get it down before the end. We want the nice people to be able to dress up and not be offended with what they see. So on Passover, we, we, we want to clear all the crosses and all the Sanhedrin have gone to the Romans and the Romans are capitulating to their demands because they're trying to keep them appeased because the, 
they keep paying the Germans, uh, I mean the, the, the Romans uh, uh, tribute and, and we want to keep the subjective peoples happy. So they go along with the general traditions. But he must have been a person of influence to have access. He's a Sahedrin. He's a Sahedrin. So yeah, he's on the yeah, council. I and I think that in and of itself carries some a weight. Certain amount of weight. I think having a little bit of money probably, you know, helps too because he's going to grease a palm or two in the way in, as is also tradition in Rome. Uh, and honestly, that's really all the explanation that you need there. Mm -hmm. You don't have to build in any more. And that's all it says. And I would, I want to read in more. Well, you know about his, his, his tomb. Yes, and he has a new tomb that he's just had dug out. So he's wealthy enough to have done that because that's not cheap. And the tombs, as we go into the, the tradition here, is that you have a family tomb. So he's, he's, he's carved out a new family tomb, which would suggest that he might be from somewhere else. And he's moved here as a Sanhedrin. And uh, he's had this, this tomb dug into, the, into rock. And uh, what happens is that uh, uh, when, when, a, when a person dies, they're not embalmed, according to Jewish tradition. They are put on a slab. There's a, there's, a, there's a bed inside the tomb. And after about two years of decomposition, they come in and take the bones that are left, because at that point, that's all there is. And they put it in a, a big box that's roughly the size of this table. Uh, it looks like a toolbox called a usury. And uh, they mark your name on it, and that's your ultimate coffin. The usury is uh, kind of this small box of bodies, and they mark it, and they leave it in the same tomb. And then the next guy that dies goes on the, the, the slab, and two years later, you clear that off to make room for the next guy. And uh, you've got this stack of usuries in the back until there's no more room in your tomb anymore. And then you get a new tomb. That's you know. repeating the process. Yeah, and so you can get, you know, a large family in there over the course of two or three generations. So, you know, and so uh, Joseph has had this dug out. And uh, he, he, he places Christ in his family tomb. Which is where this old church tradition comes in, which is not scriptural and is gospel of Kevin, that Joseph was a relative. Yeah. Joseph was possibly Mary's uncle, which would make him Jesus's granduncle. And he was on the Sanhedrin, which would kind of make sense considering what we know about Joseph and Mary's backgrounds and their, their, their genealogies. Uh, and so that's very possible. And if he was a Sanhedrin, and even if he wasn't sympathetic to Christ, even if he was still you know, backing the Sanhedrin as his uncle, and assuming that Joseph the father was not in the picture at this point, kind of makes him, you know, up there with the patriarch of the family, he, he, it would be his, it would fall to him to address this body. And so he takes it and he buries it in the family tomb that he just had built because he's family. It kind of makes sense, right? Okay, okay. It is unique how you hear about Mary, but you don't really hear about Jesus' father, earthly father, much. Joseph, yeah. Uh, kind of like he disappears from the scene. 
Well, he, by the time that Christ has grown, we assume that Joseph has passed away because he's not mentioned at all after the ministry starts. It's only Mary. And I do want to read something that proves you were right and I was wrong. I love it when I'm right. Please read that. Please read it loud. Read it loud. Okay. It says, it, it, say, it says in Daniel 2.44, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So you were right that the kingdom they're looking for, it, the kingdom of God to them is the destruction of all the other. Okay. Joseph, <laughs> it's too late, actually. <clears throat> um, John describes Joseph as a secret disciple. And I would, I, I, if I'm writing this novel, I would like to make him the uh, mildly embarrassed granduncle who's taking down the nephew and doing his family responsibility from a distance and, and you know, uh, not necessarily a disciple, but whatever. But John says he is a disciple. So like Nicodemus, uh, they, are, they have embraced Christ's message. And even though they're both, well, Nicodemus, was Nicodemus a Sanhedrin? I forget. He was, he was at least Pharisee. Yeah. And so uh, it's like ranks of, anyway. Right. So anyway, my interpretation really doesn't hold up in the face of the thing with John. So, you know, we can't, can't go there. So he's, he's a believer, and he takes his body. Okay, so he's the maybe relative that, that buries Christ in a new tomb, and all of that meets uh, a, a prophecy. I think it was in Isaiah, and it says that Christ, without looking it up, it says that Christ is uh, killed with uh, criminals, and he had a grave with criminals, but then he, he, he ended up being buried with a rich man, and so he, he, he starts to come into his kingdom after he makes his sacrifice, and so he is honored by going into a new tomb uh, of a rich man. And so that fills that prophecy. And so that's what we know. That's, 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 that's what Scripture says that's what we can infer from Scripture. That's what we know. Nicodemus also helped with the Yes. And uh, we can assume that uh, Joseph brought the linen and Nicodemus brought the spices. And he brought a pile of it from what we can from the other reference. And so uh, they're the ones that took him off the cross. So he had some help. And they, they, they put it, but they had to get him buried quickly because the uh, uh, Sabbath was coming. And they, they needed to get out. And so there was a whole process of preparing a body. They didn't embalm, but they used a lot of spices. And there was a lot of it that's symbolic. And uh, they didn't go through the whole process. It was the quickie burial to get it done. And then they were going to come back after uh, the Sabbath. So that's where we are. Those spices were expensive, too. Well, I guess Nicodemus had the bigger deal then. Well, no, I know. I'm just saying that those spices, my understanding is they're very expensive. Um, so here's the myth. Because starting in, I don't know when it started. It was pretty early. Uh, the, uh, in the, in the mid medieval period, in the Dark Ages, in uh, the early stages of the Christian church, 
there was this uh, kind of a, a tradition that one, Joseph is a tin merchant. And so that's how he's making his living. I don't know where that comes from. I couldn't really find that. And as a tin merchant, he would have to travel, because tin was dealt with at this time in, in, in history. And, uh, it, and it wasn't really mined in the Mediterranean. There's not a lot of tin in the Mediterranean. There is in Britain and uh, in Cornwall, uh, which is how they made their living for centuries. Some of the oldest miners ever have come out of Cornwall. That's where the good miners come from. They've been doing it for generations. And so uh, there is this tradition that Joseph traveled to southern England in Cornwall, and Christ, as his nephew, went with him. And so Christ himself stepped foot on, in England. And, uh, oh yeah, while they were there, several miracles took place. And, uh, you know, what you have are, are Catholic priests that are in abbeys, and they're making their money off of people coming to their abbey for pilgrimages. And so they would have some kind of holy relic to attract people to come see that. So there are all kinds of the nails that pierce Christ's hands or a sliver of the cross or... Sure, yeah, absolutely, you could. And so uh, any kind, they will claim that some little item that's associated in the story, some artifact, is there. And quite frankly, if I were Middle Evil England, I would be the very guy that would really need to go see that because I like a good museum. It's important to touch the things that you're Aren't trying you to tell stand. Preachers try to sell things that aren't there? Well, you know, I did not say that. I didn't say that out loud. Yeah, probably probably should. I'm not trying to trash preachers. I'm really not. Uh, but you know, uh, there was there was some. Um, I think we uh, deviated from the pathway of truth a little bit during the Middle Ages. Well, that's why they also said Joseph. Oh, I, I was just getting to that. Just getting to that. Oh, it gets, gets so much better. Okay. So in Glastonbury, to this day, there's something called the Glastonbury thorn <coughs> that is this huge thorn tree that was evidently Joseph of Arimathea's staff because he came in buying tin and something happened, depending on the story, and he stuck his staff in the ground and it blossomed like Aaron's staff. And so he just left it there and walked away. And I guess he was mad because it's a thorn tree. Anyway, uh, people came for, for hundreds of years to come see Joseph's thorn tree because it's this magical Christian tree in front of the abbey in Glastonbury. Isn't that handy? Well, of course, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and of course, when they come in the, the, to the see the thorn tree at Glastonbury, they can... They could take a little bit of the thorn as long as you leave a donation with the abbey on the way out. You know, that's that's the that's the idea. So, it, it, you know, none of that, of course, is true. Oh, yeah, and then Christ, in the story that I read this morning, uh, appeared to Joseph Arimathea long after he ascended and handed him the uh, Holy Grail. And he was the first keeper of the Holy Grail in which he hid in England. And then later it appeared to author and then the Lady of the Lake and we have all the rest of the mythology. 
Okay, you didn't know that this was going in this direction when you came in, did you? You thought we were going to be studying Bible and all that. Okay. Yeah, you know, well, you know, Indiana, Indiana Jones was the last keeper of the grail. You remember, you didn't see that movie, right? Okay, very important that we get that in there. Uh, I find it strange how, you know, and as a guy that's overly steeped in pop culture, I, how widely ranging Joseph of Arimathea and uh, the wandering Jew are in popular mythology. It's like they must hang out together. I, I don't know. You know, and uh, it, they're, just, they're just easy to get a hold of. We, we don't need to go there. Are talking about the centurion? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, that's one interpretation. Okay. So, okay, no more men. The women. Luke says, the women who came with Jesus from Galilee. Matthew says, Mary and Mary, which is Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary, who's not... Mary, the mother of Jesus. So there are three Marys that we have to deal with here. And, and I think it's funny that Mary, the mother of James the Lesser, who is the other Mary, is called the other Mary and not Mary, the mother of James the Lesser. Because there's two Jameses, so that makes it even more confusing. You know, welcome to genealogy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James came to the tomb because they had the spices that they were going to treat the body with that Nicodemus didn't finish up. They were going to do this right and proper, you know? And so they're, they're discussing how are we going to get the stone open because it takes several strong men to push the stone out of the way, which was the point, you know? And uh, they get there and it's open. And that's as far as we read, isn't it? Uh, followed Jesus and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes and when they rested the Sabbath in obedience to the command. Okay. Then on the 24th, so, so, excuse me. Okay. So, uh, 24. I do have a few notes on 24 since we, I wasn't sure we were going to get this far. Okay. You know, who knows? All right, verses 1 through 12, verse 24. Uh, oh, excuse me, chapter 24, verse 1 through 12. That's what I meant to say. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was 
Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. So Luke names them here. So let's give Luke a little bit of credit. I think I would have put it earlier in the chapter, but that's just the way we write now. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense, and they were women. I added, I added that part. No. <laughs> We'll get there later. <laughs> Peter, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. So Peter at least was paying attention to them, while the other disciples said, oh, it's just some chicks being shrill, who cares? Um, and it ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Okay. So, it's Sunday morning. It is the day after the Sabbath. They're allowed to work on the first day of the week. Uh, They're not allowed to do anything on the Sabbath. Plus, the Sabbath was Passover, which makes it even more a big deal. You know, so... The holiday is done, and now we can get back to it. And so these women are going out to the tomb to finish up the body preparation. And if he was placed in the tomb on Saturday, it's been 30 hours? It really hasn't been three days. The way that the... the they count days it's three days it's the third day but the body has been dead for 30 plus hours or so you know so still able to prepare it it, it hasn't gone into full-scale decomposition at this point yes put in there friday for the sabbath it was there on saturday yes. and then it was still there technically on sunday yes but also resurrected on sunday so yes it's resurrected on sunday so, yeah. on the third day because you know the whole parable that jesus said that uh the the laborers the one that labored at the very end only worked a partial day but he still got a full day's yes wage that kind of goes back towards yes this so it's the third day and it meets the all the prophecies yes yeah. So they're showing up to prepare the body, and it's all open. Now, Luke doesn't mention soldiers. Matthew does. And in Matthew, the Sanhedrin are afraid that the body will be stolen, and they will fake just what's happening. They, they don't want to, a fake resurrection because they understood what Christ was saying was going to happen. He said he was going to resurrect on the third day, you know. And so they, don't, they want to not let anything, they want, they want this to be definitive. And so the Romans agree to post soldiers on this tomb. Where are they? Well, in one of the Gospels it said that when they saw the angel, the soldiers fainted. Luke doesn't mention them at all. Yeah, I know. I was going to make a joke. They fainted because they thought it was a beautiful angel. Come on, you got to pull that. Because I know that when they went and reported what happened, 
they paid them money to lie and say that yes. they came yeah. and stole their body, stole the disciples stole the body because they didn't want to look. <clears throat> a good bribe is the Roman way. Yeah. It was really not a choice. I think it was because they let it, let somebody get the, bo the body disappear. They were either going to get killed or they were going to make it a bribe. Yes, lie. because the punishment <clears throat> for falling asleep on the job as a Roman is death. So, which means that Romans who fall asleep on the job are very good liars, is what that means, you know. So, so conditions like we have today are what they were then. It hadn't changed too much, to be fair. So they had to cut. They, they were going to lie to cover themselves anyway. Then the Sanhedrin show up and say, "Oh, not only are you going to lie about that, you're going to lie about this too." And, and here's a little cash. And uh, the Romans understand cash. So you know. Uh, so 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 that's where that story comes from. And Luke points. Well, Matthew points out that there's still you know that 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 rumor is persistent to this day. So when he wrote that, he was actually contradicting other people arguing with him. You know, about, oh, no, the soldiers said, da, 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 da. Yeah, well, they were bribed, you know. And so uh, Luke doesn't mention it. And so these women come in, and they see that it's open, and they're approached by two men who weren't sitting in the tomb when they got there. It was empty when they got there. And then, shabam, they beam in like Captain Kirk. That would kind of take you by surprise, wouldn't it, yeah. Andrew? Yeah. Would you be a little shocked? I don't think they even have to be all glowy for me to be shocked at this point if they just beamed in like Captain Kirk. They were in shining garments. So. They were in. They were in like lightning, even. I was gonna. I was gonna make a joke about shiny clothes, but it's gleaming like lightning. It's like yeah. Your shirt is very close, yes, Clayton. Is. I have to admit. I yes. It was a ha 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 ha. I saw what you did there. It was an electric color. Yeah. Uh, so they 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 they're they're uh, they have a stunning appearance. These two men. It's Gabriel, right? Because Gabriel does all the talking. Right. As I stare at a preacher to see if I get a confirmation. Okay. Uh, you know, it doesn't say who the men were, but it, it, in every other, you know, place where uh, 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 an angel says something, it's always Gabriel. So I assume that it's Gabriel and, and some other angel, and he's the one that's talking to them. Uh, and so he reminds them that Christ prophesied that he was going to be uh, resurrected. And they go, oh, yeah, he did say that. They said they, they hid their face. They did say that. They bowed down with their faces to the ground. Okay, so whatever that means. The first thing an angel says, fear not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they're kind of scary. Because they, I'd be kind of scared. Oh, here's the gospel of Bill again. Oh, please well, elaborate. I'm just saying a lot of times the two angels you most hear about in the scriptures, Micah and Gabriel. Who? Michael and Gabriel. Yeah. Okay. 
so they get the, 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 the angels tell them, oh, by the way, he's resurrected. And then they run back to the 11, because Judas is dead at this point. So all the disciples are hanging out in one place. That's interesting right afterwards. So they're having the meeting after the execution. No, they're, they're hiding. They're hiding. Okay. Because they figure it's, it's better to hide in a group. They haven't gone back to their old jobs yet, but they're all hanging out together at this one. Yeah. And so uh, the, the women, and, and he names the women at this point, and uh, Joanna was interesting because I think she's only mentioned in this one time. However, there uh, is, is later church writings that establish her as the wife of Cyrus, who was the steward for Herod. So uh, her husband was a government official in the, he the Hebrew government. And so she relatively wealthy is what that boils down to. So uh, she is, she, she's a wealthy follower. And she's there with Mary Magdalene, who is also uh, generally assumed to be wealthy. And then we have the mother of James, the lesser, not James and John. That's a different James. Why do you think Mary Magdalene was wealthy? Church tradition. But yeah, but wasn't she the one he had to de deliver the demons out of? <sighs> yeah, there's that. Or was she the prostitute? You know, I could argue the point. All of those are interpretations that have been around for a long time. True. wouldn't be wealthy because why would she be working the streets? Uh, have you? Uh, there was a client I had one time. <laughs> <laughs> Who says prostitutes are poor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Former escort. She was very rich. Okay. Uh, so, uh, I mean, you get depends on what kind of prostitute. I'm the expert, I guess. You can turn off the mic. Oh, I, <laughs> I think I need to hand you the mic. I, 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 it just depends on the prostitute. Depends on if it's a prostitute or an escort. Well, yeah, because there were there were some prostitutes who were rich prostitutes. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, yeah. it, it, what happens in my class stays in my class. <laughs> well, not if it's on Except online, but I'm just saying a fact. She could be yeah, in the wealthy. Yeah. So I'm just saying. Okay. There are several traditions concerning Mary Magdalene, and there are a lot of lies, too. She's about as fun as Joseph Arimathea, and I don't know which one's fitter, to be fair. Uh, we know she was a devoted follower. Right. She was not one anymore. We don't hear a lot about the, uh, what was the lady's name that, he, that they, they caught in the act of adultery and brought her to be stoned, and he just stooped down and wrote. I don't think there's a name for Is her. Is there not a name no. for that? No. Okay. They some some put Mary Magdalene. That, that was her, but we have no proof of that. Yeah. So we have no evidence of that. All right. Here here here's Judy's favorite verse in this chapter. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. We got the rest of the day. Okay. <laughs> to be to be to be fair. A woman's testimony was generally not considered in Jewish court. Still not to and today, is it? I don't know. 
I didn't research that one. Well, not that, but a uh, and if, 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 if you know, if a woman came and told you something, uh, and you were a a good Jewish man, you would take that with a grain of salt and go verify it for yourself. And so th we have a bunch of scared apostles holed up together, deciding what their next move is. And these women come in and they say, "Oh, the body's gone." Uh, most of them roll their eyes, but they send out the oldest because it's always Peter. We assume that he's the oldest apostle and the representative for him. And so, and so Peter goes and has a look. Cause so, so to be fair, he goes and investigates. And actually, uh, Josephus, you know, the ancient Jewish historian did say something. I've heard of him, yeah. That uh, it's best for the law. The law to be burned and all that, rather than have, than trust the testimony of a woman. At least he said so. Okay. I just, I just want to, I want to make it perfectly clear that this does not reflect any attitudes of any men in this room. Okay. 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 This is strictly a historical perspective. To be fair. Okay. Exactly. Okay, I'll take that. And you know, I know it says Peter ran, but one of the gospels says that John outran him. Uh, yes. He was old. I didn't. I didn't dig that out. Uh, dig that out. Uh, hold that thought for seven days, and I'm going to let you come back and work on it. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, Verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, bending over, and he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened, and I want to touch on this before I wrap up because we're running out of time. Um, what I have read in several commentaries is that it is significant that the grave clothes were folded. They aren't thrown in a pile. It's not like they stripped it and pulled the body out and left a mess. It's left neatly. And in Jewish tradition, and frankly in American tradition, when you finish a meal and you have a cloth napkin, uh, if you want the waitress to pick up your plate, the traditional thing is to take the, the napkin and leave it in a wad in the middle of the plate, and that signifies that I'm done with this, you can take it now. When you take the napkin and fold it in half and leave it on the table, it means you're coming back. This is Christ leaving a message for Peter. He's taking his bedclothes and he folded them and he made the bed before he left. This is not a man who's been hauled out and, and had the body destroyed. This is a guy who left under control. Does that make sense? And so Peter walks in and sees this, and Peter can infer a great deal from what it looked like. Of course, if it was the Shroud of Turin, then his face was burned into the cover into the cloth, and you know, but that that's gospel of Kevin. I think also if it looked messy, it looked like somebody did take it. That that looked organized and like this was a yes. And, and, and I think that's what this signifies. And so Peter walked away wondering to himself. I think he had a lot to wonder about. Again, that's according to the Gospel of Kevin. 
Well, that was that was well, Luke. Okay. That was Luke. We haven't got into the Shroud of Turin. We're not going there. Okay. And with that, and with that, we're going to stop at verse 13. And we're going to pick it up at 13. And maybe we'll finish this gospel in the next couple of weeks. Huh? Okay. With that, I am turning off the microphone. So, Nathan, if you're out there, goodbye.